Naughty Nature takes an unfiltered look at the R-rated side of nature. So this podcast may not be suitable for all audiences. In fact, it is not suitable for all audiences. Hi, I'm Rachel, and I like birds. I'm Lindsay, and I like fungus. And Lindsay gets to uh, tell us stuff this week. Yay. (laughs) Oh, man. Before we go any further, you do need to be reminded, potentially, that this podcast is rated R for some fucking language. Uh, We talk about sex and drugs. And other such graphic things, depending on the week. And this week... I don't know anything except before we hit the record button, Lindsay was like asking me about shrew classification. (laughs) So I'm going to go out on a limb and say it involves shrews somehow. Mm, Not really. But it is about, I will go ahead and tell you that it's about a drug. Oh, a drug? One that everyone is familiar with. Cocaine. Yes. Oh, for real? No. Oh my God. No, I'm totally kidding. We're going to be talking about alcohol today. Yeah, and it's again, it's hard to make talk about booze a naughty, but booze is something that we can't talk about with kids, though. Yes. And that's the whole point: is exactly. that this podcast is for all the cool things we can't talk about in front of like the fourth graders that come and visit us. Yeah, but I will tell you that it's fucking fascinating. Okay, seriously. <laughs> um, so I'm going to start out with a story, and I'm going to read it somewhat verbatim because I actually wrote it out. Oh. In the form of a story. Oh. And okay. it's not it's not very long, but hit me. Okay. In Sweden. <laughs> in in, <a> <laughs> in September of 2011, Per Johansson was on his way home from work one late and stormy per evening. Johansson? Yeah. Per is his first name. P E R. Are you sure it's not like a positive? I read several different articles about this story Let and then see. I p- compiled is it. A feta? it. Like or not 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 feta, what's it called? The I don't know. Like this. It's P-E-R. Oh. I don't know how to pronounce it. I'm probably saying it wrong, but that's how it was spelled in all the articles I read. Weird. Anyway. Okay. Um, Mr. Johansson was on his way home from work one late and stormy evening when he heard some strange noises coming from a nearby garden. He described the sounds as screaming roars. <laughs> Being that it was dark and stormy, the sounds were pretty spooky. He initially thought that it was one of his crazy neighbors, but then he heard it again. So Purr mustered up his courage and started searching for the source of the strange noise. As he moved closer to the garden, he saw movement in a tree out of the corner of his eye. Then there was more movement. Something was definitely in that tree, but it was too dark to make out exactly what it was. Alcohol. (laughs) Yes, the the booze is moving in the tree. (laughs) So he moved closer, and the creature made the same spooky, screaming noise. As he approached the tree, Mr. Johansson was shocked to find a moose. Wait, what? There was a moose in the tree. Where is this taking place? In Sweden. Sweden. Oh, they have moose in Sweden. Yeah. But um, hold that thought. Okay. Uh, now, the moose is a really common critter in Sweden, but they're technically known as Eurasian elk there. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That's They have, like, really cool fossilized elk from yeah. back in the day up there, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're really cool. So, for the purposes of the story, we're going to keep calling it a moose. Okay. Um. Now, finding one lodged in an apple tree is a lot less common than just finding one, like, on the side of the road or in in the woods somewhere. No. So, how did this moose wind up in a tree? Well, Mr. J. Hansen had his own theories. He suggested that it probably walked around the neighborhood eating a lot of apples. And these apples had fallen off the tree and began fermenting on the ground. Uh, chemistry reminder for all my friends out there fermentation is when yeast convert sugars into alcohol nice so these fermenting apples were becoming basically like boozy cider balls nice (laughs) weren't apples um derived from their natural state specifically to create booze i think so i think i've heard that somewhere just because they're so high in natural sugars yeah Mm -hmm. Yeah. and they ferment naturally in the wild so Mm -hmm. i think that's where it all kind of (laughs) started nice so after consuming several of these alcoholic apples the moose 
became quite drunk and really disoriented. <laughs> How do we know that? Well, it's pretty obvious when an inebriated animal tried to reach for more apples and it slipped and got itself wedged in the tree. Oh, it's wedged. I yeah, was picturing no. it like up in the branches, Lindsay. It was stuck like in the tree. Like in between the trunks or something? It's like, um, I think most apple trees start as like one big trunk and then they fork off in like two or three different big oh. branches and then they get smaller and smaller branches and it was wedged in between there. And it's like, okay. there's a video and I'll post it up on our show notes where the moose is like in the tree and it's like head is lulled off Wait, to the you side. Can actually see this? Yeah, there are pictures. Like old, no, like, oh. this is a legit like thing that happened. Oh my gosh. And there are several, like um, NBC or ABC News and CNN covered it. Oh, it was a big deal. It's recent. Yeah. Like there's Wait, documented two, evidence Yeah, of it. 2011. Oh my god, I forgot about that part. Yeah, okay. this is a real life story. I didn't just make this up. Well, it could have been like an old wives' tale. This is really cool. Okay, okay, I, okay. I'm very excited. Yeah, yeah, keep yeah. Going, keep going. So, so the drunk, the drunk moose climbed into a tree and slipped and fell because it was just so <laughs> fucked up. Yeah, and it was. Like news sources went completely insane. Like there were so many drunk puns about moose. It was, it was, it was amazing. So I'll post a couple of those articles that I. Uh, came up with side note did y'all know that brewing alcoholic beverages started over nine thousand years ago because that's a long fucking time yeah that's pretty freaking cool aren't there projects to take ancient um yeast strains and try to recreate ancient alcohols i think so or yeah. like try to make alcohol in the traditional way so this story which was the first thing that caught my eye actually led me down this really extensive it was like, I don't want to call it a rabbit hole because it was several rabbit holes that were all interconnected. We're going to call it like a prairie dog hole. Prairie dog town. Yeah. It led me through it. Thank you. A prairie yes. dog town of okay. articles. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a long week, you guys. Um, to give you just a little bit of a backstory, there was a professor at Robert Dudley from Berkeley. Or, geez, his name is Robert Dudley from Berkeley. <laughs> Okay. He actually studies the relationship between animals and alcohol. Oh. And um, one of the things that I noticed when I was digging into this was that um, humans have only been using a alcohol recreationally for a really short period of time while consuming ethanol or the natural alcohol that comes out of fermentation yeah. has been documented in primates and other mammals for way longer. Really? Mm-hmm. How like, millions of years is that only be oh that must be only because humans are more recent than other animals yeah okay, yeah i see mm -hmm. so like as a as a kingdom <laughs> animals have consumed alcohol for a long time long long time and that led me down a really specific <laughs> rabbit hole prairie and dog I'll, tunnel no yeah thank you it led me down <laughs> one prairie dog tunnel so that's what this whole episode is about as one prairie dog tunnel oh boy it's that's so it's awesome so one important thing to keep in mind is that ethanol is a really light molecule. It doesn't have a lot of mass to it. Oh, so, oh, doesn't it float on top of water if you yeah. put those layers together? Uh -huh. okay. It does. So it's really easily transported by wind, and it attracts all kinds of critters to the rotting fruit. Oh. Yeah, so food on the forest, the forest floor is actually easier for animals to find, and it's easier for them to get to these dense little nuggets than it is for them to find fresh fruit that's really high and hidden up in the trees. So mm. it's more likely that animals were consuming fermented fruit on the forest floor than climbing up in the trees to get fresh fruit. Ah, so I we see. got a bunch of drunk animals running around. Always. Yeah, a cool. lot of the time. So that's going to lead me down a very specific hole. And the title of the article that started this rabbit hole is called Chronic Intake of Fermented Floral Nectar by Wild Tree Shrews. Is the title of this paper. Chronic. I love that the first word is chronic. Like, this is not a one-time thing. This is a chronic problem. It's chronic. It's, <laughs> yeah. What's interesting about this is that these tree shrews are really small. Aww. Like, they probably fit in the palm of your hand. Oh. Yeah. And there are, there's one specific kind of tree shrew that I want to talk about. It's called the pen-tailed tree shrew, which makes it sound like it would have, like, a long, skinny tail, like a pen, right? A pen or a pin? Like a writing pen. Okay. Okay. But it doesn't. <laughs> it got its common name from the feather-like pens that people would use a long time ago instead of mechanical pens or pencils. Oh. So on the end of its tail, it has this really lovely, feathery, like... Plume. Plume, yeah. And Aww. it's just on the tip of their tail. It's really cute. I'll post a picture of it. That's really cool. But that's kind of... Yeah. 
what started this whole thing. Now this whole chronic intake paper was written by or researched by a shitload of really cool people and there it includes nine authors from all over the world including like germany and switzerland and canada and malaysia like all of these places wow okay. yeah it's it yeah there's a big collaboration for this are the tree shrews all over those regions or no okay. so that's going to bring me to the difference between tree shrews and shrews that we have here in kansas okay do you want to explain what shrews are yeah so the the shrews that we have that i'm familiar with in north america are insectivores they are very very tiny um sometimes people see them and mistake them for moles because they have some characteristics that are similar like the kind of velvety fur the tiny basically non-existent eyes um but they're pretty voracious predators hunters very high metabolism so i have to keep eating quite a bit and um some of them are venomous Oh, yeah. yeah. I forgot about that. That's Isn't cool. that cool? That's they so have, mean. like, the cute little pig- pigmented teeth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I forgot about that. Okay, and they're not at all related to tree shrews. Really? Yep. So they're in um, Sarissomorpha is the order that the o- shrews and moles are a part of. The order that tree shrews fall under is, actu- is actually uh, Scandentia. Scandentia. Yeah, so it's a completely different thing, and, it o- and it's only made up of two families. Oh. So it's a really small group of organisms like there are only 19 species and one of the families is um is that the wait tapidae or tupidae is scandentia the order yeah oh okay yeah scandentia is the order um that sounds really familiar where where was the verisomorpha going from i know it's probably really like um pedantic to get stuck in taxonomy stuff but i feel like taxonomy is a really relevant and valid thing like it's one of my guilty pleasures personally so yeah. it's part of my interest but it's also i think really important to understand how different groups of animals relate to each other because it helps us understand their biology mm-hmm. tree shrews yeah, yeah. scandentia is only tree shrews and there are only 20 known species of tree shrews Wow. And it's split into two groups. Now, the only group that we're going to talk about today is the Tyloceridae, which is monolithic in that it only has one species in it, which is the pen-tailed tree shrew, which is really cool. So it's a really unique animal. Okay. So to clarify, what we discovered is that tree shrews are in their own completely separate order within Mm -hmm. Eutheria, which is the placental mammals. So the only thing that relates shrews and tree shrews is that they're mammals. Yeah, basically. That's crazy that they're not... I wonder, never mind, hang on, let's finish this summary yeah. first. <laughs> um, so Scandentia is their order. Mm-hmm. It only contains tree shrews. Yep. And then the shrews that we're probably thinking of are in the same order as moles, which is Sarissomorpha. And that's North America only, is that right? I believe so. Okay. But I'm not 100% happen. sure. There might be some uh, European shrews that are in the same order, but I don't really know. Yeah. Um, I'm only familiar with North American ones. Mm-hmm. Now, I think... One of the reasons I got the name tree shrew is because they kind of look like shrews. They have like small mm. beady eyes. They have pointed faces. Okay. So they're it's slender. like a superficial relationship. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's a superficial thing. So they're not really shrews. Um, also, just, not all of them live in trees. Well, that's lame. Yeah. <laughs> I know. But the thing that I want you guys to know is that they are only native to tropical forests of Southeast Asia. So basically, this is kind of like the eel situation where people just like to throw around superficial names for things. Well, actually, it's probably just an antiquated result of us having to classify things based on appearances. Mm -hmm. We Um, like to group things together that look the same, even if they're not related. Right. And so now that we understand them better, a lot of things have the name shrew that have nothing to do with each other. Yeah. Great. (laughs) So now we're all on the same page. Tree shrews are not shrews that you find in Kansas or anywhere in North America. They only live in the tropical forests of Southeast Asia. What are they then? So you made me define what shrews are. What what is a what the what is a tree shrew, Lindsay? Is this this is like getting way off topic? And I'm I know, but it's important that we talk about it because it's really important. (sighs) Yeah, I know y'all are here for the alcohol, but stay for the taxonomy. Please stay for the taxonomy. (laughs) You're gonna get more than you're you're gonna drink at your local bar. So tree shrews are actually, they're small mammals, and they have really long tails. Uh, Yeah, they all have long tails. Cool. Mm -hmm. And um, is it prehensile? I don't think that it is. Okay, I was just wondering. Because not all of them live in trees. They are omnivores. They eat lots of fruit. Um, They have a really big brain-to-body mass ratio than other animals do, including humans. 
Whoa, so yeah. they're smart yeah, little they're suckers. They're smart. Mm-hmm. Or they're just tiny. And it's really uncommon for animals that weigh less than uh, one kilogram or about two pounds for them to have brains this big, which is also really interesting. Ooh, okay, that's really cool. Mm-hmm. Oh, here's the other kicker. They're more closely related to primates than really any other mammal. What the fuck? Yeah. They go back about 55 million years, and their closest relative about 55 million years ago was a primate. Holy shit. Mm-hmm. Okay, so tree shrews went in my head from being basically tree-dwelling shrews that are not actually shrews to being like an I.I. that took a shrew evolutionary shrew evolutionary route. Yeah, kind of. Mm-hmm. And I, they're... Yeah. Yeah. What? They're, it's wild. Holy shit. Yeah, and that comes from like... Um, I don't know for sure. DNA anyway. studies probably. Yeah. And the way that they metabolize certain things, which is where that comes into play. Oh, oh And how they're okay, related okay. to primates. Alcohol. Alcohol. Okay. I'm here for it. So Let's we're going we're gonna to get back on our chronic intake topic here. <laughs> now that we've defined tree shrews and we've talked about what they're most closely related to, which are primates, okay, humans. Oh, does this mean that they're really relevant to understanding human brains on alcohol? They are, absolutely. Oh, and okay. I bring that up a little bit in here. I tried to stay on the animal side of stuff, but it's it's relevant. Yeah, if the research is applicable. Yep. These researchers detected a chronic alcohol intake by our <laughs> tiny little tree shrew friends. The pen. pen pen-tailed tailed. tree shrews, yes. specifically. And for our nerd friends out there, their scientific name is Tylocerus loi. Yeah. That's a really, it sounds like a dinosaur. Tylocerus. Tylocerus. It's like almost our state fossil. Tylosaurus. Yeah. But it starts with a silent P. (laughs) Oh, that changes things. Yeah. It starts with a P. That's stupid. (laughs) Um, They specifically consume alcoholic nectar from a birdum palm tree in West Malaysia. Yeah. So if you think about why an animal might be consuming alcoholic beverages and you think about the benefits that a plant would get out of that, what do you think that means for consumption versus plant gain? I kind of got lost on the, you know, about the benefits of animals drinking alcohol. And then I was like, do I though? And then I didn't hear anything else you said after think, that. Okay. Think about <laughs> think about the ecological standpoint that an animal visiting a plant, staying there for a long time. Oh, not the alcohol drunk, part. And then... What does the plant get out of that? They get to rub their little pollen sperm nodules all over their face. They get to teabag that little tree shrew with plant semen. Yes. So, bam, a mutualistic (laughs) relationship is born. Oh. So, these little guys. So, basically, the tree shrew just sits there and gets shit-faced, and it's, like, wobbling around everywhere and just, like, gets pollen all over its face. (laughs) Okay. Oh, no. Okay. These little tree shrews have the world's highest alcohol tolerance. Oh, my God. Okay. Okay. So they don't get drunk. Oh I'll go God. into details on that. Is this one that we... This is we, sounding familiar. We briefly, briefly touched on this. Okay. And I fell in a rabbit hole. Awesome. You know, I feel like when we when we talked about it in the live series over mm-hmm. the summer, like it was a passing thing and somebody asked us about the metabolism and we didn't know the answer because we didn't get into that much detail. Yeah. And this I is have some answers. Okay. I cannot wait. It yes. does not get drunk. No, it doesn't. What's, what is... We'll have, get there. Have they done experiments showing like how far they need to go before they do get drunk? Do they ever get drunk? How the fuck do they... What? what? Tell I, us. I have some information. It's not that detailed. Okay. I have six pages of notes here. So it's not that detailed, you say. Let me get through this. But there are some things we need to understand about the plant first. Oh, okay. Okay. It's a palm? Yes, it's a palm tree. Okay. All right. But before I get into those actual specifics of that, um, I need to talk about how they sort of went about doing this study. So they used a self-constructed food model. I don't know what that means, I'll be honest. Oh, okay. And a hair biomarker, which I'll explain down the road, for how they tested their alcohol consumption. Oh, okay. Yeah. So there's a molecule that ends up in hair shafts. Okay. That you can measure just how much alcohol they've been intaking and um, over like a period of time that it's been in their system. Oh, It's fascinating. Okay. Okay. So 
thanks to the way that they ran this, they determined, these researchers determined that the alcohol intake by tree shrews reaches levels that are dangerous to all other mammals. Oh, my God. It's in- it's intense. How do they measure the alcohol? In- like, is it like a percent? I- is it a breathalyzer sort of blood alcohol volume like there there's like a a a, um this really bat shit equation that they came up with that incorporated (laughs) just how much fermentation the plant um like facilitates yeah and how much like how intense the alcohol content of the nectar actually is how much they're drinking the span of time how much it weighs it's insane and okay i promise you i will go into more details okay okay um i'm just curious what the reference is for like more than anybody else can consume yeah yeah, yeah. so the fact that they're consuming all this alcoholic nectar is probably gonna i mean if they're drunk all the time do you think that's probably gonna be make them more susceptible to predators because they're disoriented they're walking around they're probably going up to that jaguar and saying hey man i'm drunk Drunk as fuck. Cheers. It's like pass Let's out on somebody's friends. couch in the middle of the jungle and just get swiped up. Yeah. Are how big are these guys again? It's palm size. Oh, they're yeah, that's little. Right. Okay. They're yeah. very small. They snack sized. Yeah. Uh God, I can't believe that they're related to primates. To the task at hand. Okay, okay. I'm here for this. Let's go. All right. So there's probably hang on, let me let me write this down. Or I'm gonna read this verbatim because my notes say Bada bing, bada boom. This suggests that there are selective pressures for combating the adverse effects of alcohol, meaning like cell and organ damage and mental disorientation. Um, Like your brain gets all cloudy and you make – making good choices is more difficult when you've been consuming alcohol. Got it. So this suggests that first exposure to alcohol began more than 50 million years ago, allowing them to (gasps) evolve a resistance to getting drunk. Which is why they have such a high tolerance. God. Okay. Crazy, right? Yeah. 50 million years ago. They've been one-upping ethanol for 50 million years. Yep. Or it began 50 million years. It began, yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. So the selective pressures of being too drunk and getting eaten forced them to somehow evolve not being averse to the effects of alcohol. Yeah, which also shows that whatever resources they're getting from the alcoholic plant resources is worth the pressure. Like they withstood going through those selective pressures in the first place because it was worth it whatever return they got from the plant. Yeah. Okay. That is so cool. Okay. So we we touched just a tiny bit on – the tree, the pentel tree shrew itself. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about this really special plant. Okay. And it's really fucking special, you guys. Like, okay. It's a palm tree, but it's a stemless palm tree. So it's not like the ones you see on, like, what's that boulevard in Las Vegas with all the palm trees? California. Whatever. <laughs> all the, Like, the really tall palm trees with coconuts. Like, yeah. it's not like that. Okay. It's stemless and it's more of a bushy, but it has palm tree-like leaves. Like or, a yucca. No. no. Okay. Because <laughs> the yucca has like, they're it's a group of leaves, but they're all long and skinny. Yeah. These are palm tree leaves, so they have they're long and they yeah. like frill out. But it's like a palm tree yucca. Yeah, it's like a bush, but a palm tree. Great. Okay. Okay. Like you just chopped the top of it, of it off and stuck it in the ground. Pretty much. Okay. Yeah. And they grow in really dense clusters in the rainforests of Western Malaysia, which is the forest that we're talking mm-hmm. about, and uh, they develop these huge and i mean they're like one one to three meters long which is like three to ten feet oh my god they're huge and those aren't even the leaves they're called inflorescences that's like the seed head not quite you're almost there an inflorescence is like um the stalk of flowers. It's like a whole stalk of flowers. And we have right. inflorescences in Kansas. Yeah. It's like just on like grasses. Yeah. And... They're just like compound flowers. It's like yeah. one head that has multiple flowers on it. Right. Okay. I think technically inflorescence refers to any part of the plant that's got flowering parts on it. Maybe. I defined it. I wrote down the actual definition because I thought this might come up. Yeah. Like I don't know if it's exclusive to com- compound flowers multiple flowers on a stalk that kind of situation maybe but yeah anyway so the actual definition is a group or cluster of flowers that are arranged on a stem oh okay there we go in this instance like the burton palm 
in this particular species, it looks like a baseball bat that has a bunch of nails sticking out all over it. Oh my God, like Stranger Things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, except for those nails are actually flowers and each bat averages about a thousand flowers. Holy shit. Give or take two to three hundred. So you said like one to three meters or whatever. That was the baseball bat. Yep. That's the baseball bat. Okay. And those are just the flowers. Oh, wow. Yeah. Are they significantly bigger than the actual little bush palm tree itself? I mean, they're huge. Yeah. Like, is it like a lopsided, like, like a little tiny bush with like giant nine foot tall flower stalks? I'll show you. They're massive. Please. There's this guy. Okay. He's standing next to one of them. Oh, yeah. Okay. It's as tall as he is, and he's probably like six something. Yeah. Okay. That's really cool. Let me show you the whole plant, please. Uh, Burtum palm. What's it, what's the common name? Burtum palm. Burtum. Is that named after a person? I don't know. Oh, okay. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's B E R T A M if anybody else wants to Google this. Burtum. Yeah, Burtum. Um, but here's this guy standing next to oh, it. The leaves are the really leaves long. The leaves are huge. Yeah, they're probably like 20, 30 feet. Yeah. But it's just like a 20 or 30 foot tall bush. Gotcha. With okay. palm leaves, yeah. Okay, there's no trunk on it. Nope, there's no trunk. It comes from like a central point in the ground. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Okay. Let me describe so. this for the listeners because Lindsay just showed me a beautiful picture. Thank you. It is like a leaf that is like 20 feet long or something. 12 feet. It's It's huge. It's huge. And there's just no trunk, so it's not a tree. And they're just shooting straight up into the air. Yeah. That's it. I'll post a picture. Okay. It's like a rosette. Yeah. Of palm leaves. Of palm leaves. <laughs> and then you have um, a few of these almost 10-foot tall inflorescences that are covered in thousands of flowers. Beautiful. Okay. The important thing is that half of those flowers are male. Ooh. Meaning that, um, and I say male because it's the part pollen. of the flower that produces pollen. Right. And the other half are hermaphroditic, meaning that they contain both parts. Oh. So they have stamens and the pistil, which is the egg. Or it houses the egg. And anthers with pollen. It has stamens that produce the pollen. Oh, oh, sorry. Yeah. I got mixed up. It's okay. So all we need to know is that... And this is kind of irrelevant, but it's really fascinating that half of these thousand plus flowers are male and the other half have an egg. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That doesn't make any sense. I know. It's wild. And they're similar in size and shape and they contain copious amounts of nectar. So they're not just little flowers. They're, I mean, they're good sized. Nice. And uh, it takes several weeks during the bud stage or that the bud stage is before they open to expose the pollen or um, expose the pistil to allow the pollen to fertilize one of the eggs so okay yeah following me they're like yes. little they're like little buttercups beer mugs oh <laughs> that's great they're little steins they're a little big yeah they're little steins <laughs> like those german ones that have the flippy lid <gasps> yes you know the bud is the lid down and yes you like pop it open and then the tree shoes can come yes. and not get fucked and up. not get fucked up but other animals do Ooh, excellent okay um they develop in synchrony so there's no overlap between nectar production uh, pollen exposure and stigma receptiveness. So it all happens at the same time. At the same time. Okay. And it's it's batshit. There's a note to myself on here and it says read out loud. So I'm going to read this because I know it's it's a little tough and I know I won't get the numbers right if I try to go off of something else. So Shoot. I'm going to read it. It says the palm has some batshit timing for nectar production <laughs> and okay. pollen and stigma exposure. So it pro- it takes 38 days to produce nectar. Okay? That's the first part of this cycle. It produces nectar for 38 days, followed oh. by one day of pollen exposure. And this says, at night, in all caps. Wow. Mm-hmm. And Weird. This is, remember those, the ones that have the pollen are the male flower buds. Okay? Yeah. Then, after that one night, it's followed by a 41.8 day period where nothing happens. What? Okay. Then, after the nothing happens period, there's 51 days of nectar production. Wow. Followed by two days of pollen exposure at night again. Followed by 20.9 days of nothingness. And then stigmas become receptive and fruit develops. What the hell? I know. It's fucking insane. It's insane. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. So in between, are they just like closing up the flowers and the same flowers stay there? Here's why. Because... 
Remember what we talked about, how ethanol is a really light molecule? Yeah. If they're open all the time, that molecule is going to evaporate quickly. So if they keep their buds closed, the more potent their nectar is. Oh, my God. That is – I've never heard of anything like this. fucking genius. That doesn't make any sense at all. I'm really excited about this. How the hell does that even – never mind. I don't want to get down another rabbit hole, but, like, wow. Yeah. Pretty much all you need to know from all that bullshit is – it's not bullshit. It's amazing. Um, Anyway, all you need to know is that the burdum palms are weird as hell and that during nectar production, the inflorescences release a really strong alcoholic smell. And the author said that that is reminiscent of a brewery. So they keep their nectar enclosed. Yeah. So that their nectar ferments, making it alcoholic. Because it's not alcoholic immediately. Remember, alcohol is produced through a fermentation process that involves sugars and yeast. Yeah. So when it's in the nectar producing period, is it closed for part of the time to ferment and then it opens up? Or is it fermenting during the nothing period? That's a really good question. So it starts fermenting when the nectar is being produced. And that's my next tidbit. So this is the part of the study where they actually tested the plant for alcohol content. Ooh, okay. okay. Yeah. So the odor and the frothing of the nectar, like just being around it during (laughs) field seasons, made it really obvious that there was some, air quotes, vigorous fermentation going on. (laughs) Including froth. Yeah, frothing of the nectar. So it is intense. It's a literal stein full of like brewery beer. It is. Yeah, it is. It really is. So they confirmed this fermentation by directly measuring the alcohol content in the nectar. And then they specifically identified certain new species that are responsible for it. Do you know what I'm going to ask? No. Can we buy (laughs) Burdum Palm beer? They make all kinds of shit out of it. You're shitting no, me. No, they make like burdum oh wine. All- no way. Yeah, I'm serious. Out of like the yeasts? Out of like the, nectar? the fruit and natural yeast. Oh my God. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's how they kind of compared it. They took what the average alcohol content of one liter of burdum palm wine is and they compared to what it is in the natural environment. Dude, that's crazy. It's really cool. That is so cool. I know. It's so cool. So, um, Inside the bud, and this is where some of those measurements are noticed, inside that bud, before it opens, the alcohol concentration is at its very highest. Nice. Okay. Okay. And then on the outside of it, like shortly after it opens or after some little booger has been around licking it and it actually gets on the outside, Mm -hmm. fresh nectar obviously has the second highest alcohol concentration and then older... nectar that's on the outside that not on the inside yeah. has the lower one. Right. It's probably evaporated out and stuff. Yeah. Okay. So what else is inside those little buds that has the highest concentration of alcohol? The shrews. They go inside of it. <laughs> but what does the plant have in there? Flowers. The pollen and the stigmas. So those little shrews. Wait, what? Yeah. They're closed up buds. Remember? They're like yeah. little flower buds that have all the sexual parts in there. But the pollen's usually on like a stalk or something. Yeah. I yeah, might yeah. be visualizing this wrong. And like. Um, Does the pollen fall into the beer sign? No, not, not necessarily. I'm like, so confused. This, the, I think the I think the stalks of the stamens are taller. And like there's this little, it like comes out in these little droplets and pools at the bottom of these, the little nectar steins that we're talking about and then when the shrew sticks its little face in there it gets the pollen and it laps up from the bottom and picks up the pollen and it goes to the next one and it sticks its face in there and drops them off so the pollen is in the bottom of the beer stein no no no. it sticks out above the liquid but he's licking pollen out of the bottom of the beer stein give me a pen I'm picturing like an orchid right now, okay, which might be part of the problem. Okay. She's drawing me a diagram. I'm going to put this on the website. Can we please put your homemade diagram? Okay, because. All right. Here is. Okay, I'm here. getting this. What the hell is it called? Our beer stein. <laughs> the bud. There. Here's our bud. Okay. Okay. And it's little. And here's the juice and like this, this this nectar like forms these little droplets and like rolls down the side of it and gets caught down here in the bottom like a little bucket. The and juice is different from the nectar? No, no, that is the nectar. I just forgot the word for it. <laughs> <laughs> the juice that it's producing is nectar. So wait, wait, wait. Okay, the walls of the flower produce nectar that dribbles into the bottom and becomes juice that's fermented beer. Yes. Okay. Yes. And the stamens. And it picks up the pollen when it goes down into the juice. Yeah. So this little thing sticks its long face in there. (laughs) That's a nice. And rubs it on that. 
well, sticking his tongue in there and like lapping it up and he picks up pollen on his little furry nose yeah. and then he pulls it out and moves to the next one and drops the pollen off. So you're not trying to tell me that the pollen has a high alcohol concentration? The pollen doesn't. The nectar does. <laughs> identified where I went wrong here because I thought you were trying to explain to me what else had a really high concentration of alcohol <laughs> and I was trying to figure out why the pollen would be alcoholic. Oh my god. <laughs> okay basically all you're saying is that the shrew is going to brush the pollen when it goes to get the fermented nectar. Yes. Which it. is exactly what we thought in the first place. Yes, <laughs> so this is it. not groundbreaking information. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so the, the shrew tea bags itself on the pollen when With the flower balls, yeah. 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 Goes in for a sip, gets sperm in the face. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. Great. Perfect. Okay. So we now that we have covered that. <laughs> Jesus Christ. So how how did they test our little furry buddies for breathalyzer? With actually ingesting <laughs> it. I want to see how tiny that breathalyzer is. You could probably put it in a chamber or something and just measure the vapor that comes out of their little breaths maybe okay but after but they'd have to do it like immediately yeah okay H- hang on to that oh fuck okay i wrote the, i'm gonna read what i wrote down it says with a complex math equation that factored in a lot of shit like a lot of shit this is how they ca- calculated <laughs> how much ethanol each one of these little boogers was actually ingesting when they okay. visited the plants based on the the concentration of the flower they're visiting yes. got it um so these things included, like, daily alcohol dose, like how often they visited and how much they were, they were consuming from each bud, concentration of alcohol in the nectar, time spent ingesting every day, the rate at which flower buds are emptied during visits, the lapse time to the last mammalian visit, renewal rate of encountered nectar crop at a single bud, alcohol density, and body mass. Holy That's like shit. eight things in one equation. And stuff I wouldn't even think would be relevant, like the renewal rate. Yep. Okay. So that's a hard-ass thing that they had to figure out. Um, here's the thing oh, okay. that I briefly forgot to mention. <laughs> Our little pintail tree shrews are nocturnal. That's when the, the pollen is are open. Oh, it's only open during the night. Yeah. Okay. Which well, is important for perfect. our little buddies. Yeah. Okay. So there are some weird-ass aspects of this floral dis- display that we haven't quite talked about. Um, I'm going to remind you of some of the things that we have. So the first one okay. is that they have a super weird long duration of nectar production. Remember, that's 38 days the first time and then 51 days the second time. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Got it. I think we forgot something. Oh, no, we didn't. Um, it's also spe- speculated. This is the part. Okay. It's speculated that inoculation with the yeast, you know what I'm talking about? Okay. No. So yeast is a natural thing, microscopic fungus. single cell fungus that's yes. floating in there all around us constantly. There are millions of particles of yeast everywhere. Yes. Okay. You could take a Q-tip, swab your hair and make beer out of it. Not even swab your hair. You can just like wring it around. <laughs> And you just wave it around in the room and pick okay. up yeast molecules. Todd's right. office beer. Yes. Todd's yes. office beer. <laughs> With yeast straight from Todd's office. <laughs> uh, it's a, so it, researchers speculate that the inoculation with the yeast, so when the yeast actually gets into the nectar and starts consuming the sugars and converting it into ethanol, okay, okay starts minutes after nectar is starting to be produced in the bud. And that's because wow. these little pentel tree shrews are not the only ones that visit our palm friend. <gasps> Somebody else brings in the yeast? Like insect vectors, because lots of flies oh. also really like nectar. Okay. So uh, most of the time they're small flies like drosophilids, which are fruit flies that we mentioned before who like booze. Oh, yes. You remember our previous oh, episodes. Yes. So it's speculated that yeast is not already inside the freshly made buds. It's brought uh. in by other critters. Following awesome. Me. So yeasty flies start the fermentation process within minutes. minutes. Yeah. Wow. Minutes. It's crazy. So f- this fermentation is facilit- facilitated by these like weird-ass, hard, woody external structures that make the buds rigid. So instead of them, imagine like having a flower petal that okay. you made into like a little 
loop and you put water droplets in it, it's going to fall over with the weight, right? Yes. So these woody, rigid structures help keep them erect and make them more <laughs> Stein-like. Are you laughing because I said the word erect? Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I'm having a hard time visualizing flower parts. <laughs> What's well, these woody? are not normal flowers. Yeah. Well, yeah. These are not. They're not normal. So it's just like a What's hard external structure. What, so, is, what is it? Is it like a triangle? It's. We're going to go back to our drawing board here. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Think of it as like um, an ice cream cone, like one of the triangular ones, like a waffle cone. And it just like sheaths the bottom of that flower bud and keeps it from tipping over from the weight of the nectar. So like on a rose, there's the green parts beneath the petal that have like little bracts and stuff. Yeah, but it's not spread but out. But it's a woody ice cream cone. Yes. And it's like a little a little vase. Oh, each little bud gets its own vase. It's yeah. woody. Yeah, I'll show you. Okay, so. Oh, my God. Here's the here's the bud before it opens, and it's, like, starting to produce all that nectar. Okay. Okay. Lindsay just drew a canoe. Okay. <laughs> and then you have one little tip up here that's exposed, and the rest of it is covered. In an ice cream cone. In this cone. little ice cream cone. Oh, so the full bud is mostly hidden, and it's like a little ice cream scoop of bud that's sticking out of the top. Yeah. Okay, and that's how it like holds the weight up of its own of its own freaking nectar. nectar and like beer factory and the yep. fruit flies and how those little shrews can climb around and not knock anything over. Oh, okay, that makes sense. Okay, I have a question though because okay. I got one more thing I need to clarify, okay. which is not going to be the last. Thing. <laughs> <laughs> this is some crazy shit. This, it's insane. It's hard for me to visualize what's happening right now in this world. Okay, but um, fuck. Did you forget? Yeah. No. 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 Here's here's the thing. Nectar production doesn't – it starts before the bud opens. Correct. How the fuck does a fruit fly get into the flower within minutes of nectar being produced when the bud is closed? That's a really good question. Maybe it's not 100% closed. It's just not mm-hmm. big enough for the little shrews to get in. I don't know the answer to this. That was not, oh. That oh, was not okay. addressed in the articles that I read. So all I know is that the fruit flies come by – and they drop stuff off. I mean, maybe they're consuming old nectar yeah. that's been around and they just happen to land somewhere. I don't know. Because they're brand new flowers. Mm-hmm. Maybe not for the 51-day period. But, but the very first nectar period, they're brand new. Mm-hmm. And they do it twice because right. it's the whole cycle and then they produce fruit. Uh-huh. And then they do it again. With new flowers. Yes. Because the other flowers already turned into fruit. Oh, uh-huh. okay. Yeah. I, I was thinking it was the same flowers back and forth. Wait, no, no, no. Because you said... There was a nectar period, then a pollen period, then nothing, then a nectar period, a pollen period, and a fruit period. Yes. So each flower does go through two different nectar producing stages. Yes, two stages. Okay. Yes. So maybe the second nectar producing stage after it closes back up, it would already have yeast in it or whatever. Yeah, and it should. Yeah. Yeah, it should. But the first time... Maybe maybe the fruit flies are just so tiny that they just sneak right in there and get up in there. Fruit flies can be really small. So, and they're not the only small insects that visit. I mean, there are other invertebrates that hang around there too that could have it okay. on their bodies as well. So, I just use Drosophilids as an example because we're familiar with fruit flies. Right, right. So, that's just the one bug example that I used. Ooh, okay. Like those little fig wasps. <gasps> yes. Oh yes. my gosh. Okay. I cannot wait to talk about that on a different episode. Dude, same. I freaking love fig wasps. I got some fig jelly from the spice merchant. And I was, like, sharing it with my family. And I was like, there's dead wasps in here. (laughs) (laughs) They thought I was joking, and I wasn't. (laughs) Technically, the bodies aren't in there anymore. They're dissolved. dissolved, Yeah, they became a part of it. remnants of wasps were in there. Yeah, it's kind of like how when we die, bits of us will be around. And they become mushrooms. Yes. (laughs) But more directly, there definitely are molecules that used to be wasps inside this jam. Yeah. All right. Anyway. I'm going to get back to this. I have a lot of capital letters in this note section, so bear with me. I want to hear every capital letter in your voice. Okay, I will read it. Okay. I will yell it, but away from the mic. Let's revisit this. So I bet you're wondering why the palm has such a short flowering period. Remember those one to two days of exposure where they're actually open? When they're ready to receive pollen. Yes. Yes. Okay. And that's because the alcohol evaporates really, really fast. Right. So the longer that they're open... The more alcohol evaporates, the less boozy their drink is. But they're nectaring for like 30 or 50 days. Yeah. But here's but the deal. Open. 
beer and wine is not made overnight. It has to sit there for a while. So the, they're closed to allow fermentation to happen. I'm so confused. Why? I don't know. Keep going. Okay. But do you understand what I'm saying? They're no. closed because fermentation is taking place, which is why beer and wine are made in these really big vats. But when can vats. the shrews get in it? When they're open at night. But you said they're only open for one or two days. Yes. But there's also nectar on the outside of it. So the shrews during the like 30 to 50 day nectaring periods are drinking out of the ice cream cone and not the flour. Yeah. Something like that. Okay. And then the actual flower never opens. Except for one or two nights in that whole cycle. When it's ready to receive pollen. Yes. But how? And that's when alcohol wait, 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 is most Wait, 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 wait. So there's only... Hang on a second. <laughs> it's, it's complicated. No, 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 no. Because go back to the teabagging shrew, right? Okay. Yeah. So the shrew needs to dip its little face inside the flower <laughs> to come into contact. But... You said that the pollen is produced before that period. So it's not producing pollen anymore. No, no, no. I didn't say it was produced during that period. Because it's not. It's produced before. Because you said there's a nectar period and then a pollen period and then nothing. Then a nectar period and a pollen period and then nothing. That pollen period. And then pollen period and then sexy time period. Yes. Okay. But during the pollen period, there's no way for them to get inside if it's closed. No, no, no. The, it's open during the pollen period. <laughs> let's go back. You just said that it only opens for one or two days. That's the pollen period. Because then it evaporates. Oh, let's go back. Okay. 38 days, it produces nectar. Followed by one day of pollen exposure when it's open. <gasps> oh! Oh, okay. And it's open at night because our little bodies are nocturnal. Okay, okay, okay. Okay. Then it's followed by 41.8 days where nothing is happening. We Correct. don't know what happens or why there's a grace period, but there is. Okay. Then it's followed by the second round of 51 days of ne- nectar production. Okay, that's when it's like fermenting. It's like getting the yeah. good stuff ready. Getting all the good stuff. And the yeasties and the flies are getting in there sometimes. Exactly. Okay. So then it's followed by two days of pollen exposure. Two days of pollen exposure. Okay. At and night then- again. Then it's followed by another nothingness period. Oh. A a grace period. Okay. Probably because it doesn't, it just needs like a break from all that fucking work it just did. Yeah, it needs to replenish its alcohol supplies. Exactly. And then fruit develops. But when does it receive pollen? The second night. When they're bouncing around. I thought that was pollen. This says the stigmas become receptive. So there's probably pollen on there, but it's after that 20.9 days that the oh! stigmas actually are ready to receive it. Okay. So so the stigma is there, and it's getting like all it's like waiting. pollinated, mm-hmm. but then it receives the pollen at a different date. Yeah. Oh, my God. Okay. Summarize it one more time. Okay. One more time. <laughs> now that I've worked out all the kinks inside my brain. Let's Which go. part? We want to go over? The whole thing. The, the whole period. Okay. The whole period. Ready? It starts with 38 days of nectar production. Where it's closed up and it's brewing. Yes. Got it. Then it's followed by one day where it's open at night of pollen, where it's exposing the pollen. And all the bits are there. Mm-hmm. So pollen's getting like moved around, but nothing sexy is mm-hmm. happening technically. Nothing except sexy the shrew is happening. getting tea It's just the mechanics of moving things around. Beautiful. Got it. Yes. Okay. Then nothing happens. Then nothing happens for a period of time. It's closed up, just chilling, just recuperating. Chillin'. Mm-hmm. Spa day. Followed by 51 days of nectar production. Extra brew. Extra alcoholy. Oh, that makes sense because they have like an additional day that they're open coming up soon. Okay, yes. cool, cool. Got it. Followed by two nights of openness where they can do another round of pollen exposure. And then the stigma becomes receptive. Yes. To receive the pollen that's already been brushed that's around. That's already on there. It okay. just is ready to grow that tube down to the little egg and fertilize the egg. Ooh. And then the fruit develops. Nice. Are you good? I'm following okay. this now. Good yeah. Good. And then nothing and it's happens. Complicated. And then fruit grows. Yeah. And when I, when I initially read this article, I was like, this is some fucking insane bullshit. And I was like, I'm just going to leave it out. It is. No. I'm not done. But then I kept reading and I was like, I cannot leave this out. <laughs> so I went back and added it all. Is this like the longest lasting like plant sexual thing that I've heard of so far? Yeah. It gets better, man. Okay. Oh, my God. Okay. So we're going to revisit everything that we've talked about. We just did. No, no, no. Oh, okay. Different. Okay. We've talked about why they're only open for short periods of time. Remember that alcohol evaps- evaporates really fast. Remember sure that? does evap fast. You got it? Okay. Yeah. So as soon as they expose themselves to these alcoholic <laughs> mammals in the forest. <laughs> Literally. Showed all their bits. Yep. Showed yep. all their bits. The precious libation 
that they worked so hard to produce loses its potency. Yes. So there's less alcohol. And it gets drank. Yes. Here it is. The fucking flower buds act as brewing chambers that not only provide a perfect environment for the production of booze, but it protects its hard-earned community of yeast from the nectar-licking alcoholics. So the mammals still visit during the production period, even though they're not open. Because they're drinking out of the ice cream cone. Yes. Because they're still oh. happening there. Oh. Oh. So they're making sure that when the little mammals come in and lick out of the ice cream cone portion around the bud, that they still they're still protecting. Hit. Yeah. Yes. They're, yes. Okay. Oh, my God. Okay. Oh. This means that. Oh, my God. These weird-ass floor displays actually facilitate nectar fermentation and thus indicates that high alcohol content is super fucking important for the sexual reproduction of this palm tree holy shit and it promotes binge drinking exactly okay okay so wow without the alcohol it wouldn't get pollinated because it has a specific pollinator which is our pintail tree shrew yes and it wow. took scientists a long time to figure this out because they couldn't figure out how it was reproducing because they didn't know what was the pollinating source. Oh, because it's only opening at night. Yes. And it's like for one day. Exactly. Or, yeah, t- yeah. two days. Yep. Yeah. Yep, 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 yep. Wow. Crazy. So it literally is just like the whole purpose of the bud is to be a brewing chamber. Yeah. That's like, it's almost as if the pollen is kind of secondary at this point. Like, yeah, it's there. But the main focus of the flower is producing alcohol. Yep, exactly. That's fucking cool. It's crazy. So they had to quantify (gasps) this. Go ahead. Okay. If they're dependent on another animal bringing in a yeast to start it, does that mean it's like a different brew every year? And like there's like a different like strain or different like flavor that gets produced every year? Maybe not necessarily. So I think when I was reading this, they okay. discovered several different species of yeast, but there are really common ones that are just floating around that are easily picked up. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, so maybe if there are more of the different kinds of yeast, I don't really know, I'll be honest. Oh, okay. So, I was just curious. I mean, there's a good chance um, that maybe it does have different flavors, but okay, I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> so researchers had to quantify this in some way. So they had to quantify the importance of mammals and their role in fruit production for the Burdum palm. Okay. So they this is how they did that. They oh. randomly selected 14 pairs of neighboring inflorescences. So Okay. The, remember those are, those are the baseball bats with the flowers all yes. over them and they're next to each other. Okay. So before the stigmas or the male parts with the pollen were exposed or opened, they covered one of the pairs, one of those big, long 10-foot stalks Aww. of flowers all over it, with a really fine mesh that kept small mammals out of it, but Aww. allowed insects to go in there still. Okay. Okay. Um, the fruits were counted after three to six months, and it f- like the results were staggering. Tell me. Um, I don't have the exact numbers, but it was found that non-flying mammals are the sole providers of pollination for the burdum palm. Holy shit. Yeah. Okay, that's really cool. So even though insects are visiting the flower, they're not providing any pollination. Any pollination. If it is, it's really, really minor. I love that they included specifically it's non-flying mammals. So it's not that bats are coming in and having access. It's only the tree shrews. Exactly. And I bring up bats here in just a little bit and why they don't include bats and why bats don't really visit these palm trees. Okay, okay. Okay. So what's crazy about this it was when when people think about flowering plants they usually have a season right think of apple trees they flower and they make apples yes in the spring in the springtime the burdum palm goes through all these inflorescence stages all year round it does not have one season it's continuously making alcoholic nectar which is so important because it makes it a non-seasonal food source so when they're running out of other food sources the burdum palm is there to fucking provide oh my gosh which is a big deal they're like a tree shrew food bank yeah they they're are. they're when you need it most yep and not just oh my for god them. they actually found about seven different mammal species that would visit this oh yeah but tree shrews were like the most prominent and they okay. studied tree sh- these particular tree shrews because they were the only ones that didn't exhibit any signs of alcohol effects gotcha they, they have such a high tolerance okay so we gotta talk about this about what all this stuff it's crazy More- because we haven't even gotten to the actual part of your talk. Nope. Holy shit. Okay. So, 
We just spent all that time talking about how flowers are breweries. Yeah. Okay. I love Which it. Is Malaysian breweries. Part. Yeah. Malaysian. Fl- I don't know. <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah. I mentioned that it brings in at least seven different species of mammals. Um, two of those mammals visit both or during the day at dusk and at dawn. So that means that visitation more than doubles at nighttime. Which right. is when the flowers are exposing all of their bits. Funny how that works. Funny. But there were no bats. Okay. Why? Do you remember that like hard outer covering that we talked about, the ice cream cone? How could I forget? It's sharp and spiky, which could oh! holes in very thin membranous wings. <laughs> it's like a freaking um like, you know those, like, spikes they put out in front of castles when they're going into battle? Yeah. To stop the zombies from... Well, you know what I mean. Well, do you, now do you understand why I explained it as a baseball bat with nails sticking out of it? No. I did that in the beginning. But that was the entire inflorescence. I know. And that's describing it because it has the woody oh, bits on it. Because the nails are like the ice cream cone. Yes. But three-dimensional. Yes. Oh, my God. Okay, that's so freaking cool. Right? So picture an ice cream cone, but, like, nails. Are the flowers brown? Yes. Okay, because that helps me figure out what I'm looking at. When you think of That's flowers, right. you usually think, think of, of like bright, colorful yeah, stuff. or like there was a white part in that thing you were showing. But they me. don't need they don't need to exhibit resources to make their flowers different colors because yes. they're attracted to alcohol. Yes, which is actually a really common thing when specifically the pollinators are mammals. Yeah, because mammals don't really see bright colors in the first place, and mm-hmm. so they're not attracted to the colors. They're almost always attracted to smells. Mm -hmm. Okay, so in this photo, what we're seeing is that there's like a a kind of spiky ice cream cone. And then when it opens, these brown petals extend out of it. Mm -hmm. Okay, that makes a lot more sense. It's really hard to draw that on a sticky note. Oh, that's fair. (laughs) (laughs) It's hard. (laughs) Okay, but, but that helps figure out what's going on in these photos. Okay. okay. Very cool. Good. Okay. Yes. Um, now, they recorded videos to monitor these things at night when they couldn't just sit there and scare away the mammals because, nice. you know what I mean? So yeah, they that affects results. Night effect, night vision cameras. Cameras. Jeez. And um, it showed that the pen-tailed shrew and the slow loris, which is one of the other mammals that visits. Oh, those are weird animals. Yeah, they're <laughs> weird. Um, don't exhibit any signs of motor incoordination or any behavioral signs of inebriation. So it's the slow loris too. Yeah, then. but it's not quite as much. The slow loris doesn't visit as often as okay. the other ones do. And they recorded the number of minutes that each the pen-tailed shrew and the slow loris spent each night lapping up this liver liquid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's what I wrote down. This, what did you I call called it? it a liver liquid. <laughs> Liver liquid. <laughs> nice. Anyway, the pentailed tree shrews, our little buddies, spend on average 138 minutes every night just drinking. Oh my god! Yeah. How many hours is that? Um, like two, two, or three? Two, two and a half hours. Wow, that's quite a bit. Nice. Just and drinking the whole time. Just drinking, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then the slow loris is spend about 86 minutes every night also drinking so they don't consume as much alcohol but they spend a significant amount of time consuming this food source okay okay so how does this affect these little bitty animals it doesn't because they're small you're right they don't really have they're they just don't react the same way but why exactly so obviously alcohol has effects on body right we humans know that have a couple glasses of wine and your toes start to tingle so researchers had to come up with a standard reference value to compare the effects of alcohol in a way that we can understand it, okay? okay. So they figured out this benchmark percentage for humans was about 0.05%, which is enough to get you arrested if you're caught driving. Okay. So, um, and that's the amount that's known to start causing damage in humans. And by damage, I mean like... Um, Motor coordination and your ability to make good choices. Okay. Okay. So that particular percentage comes from approximately nine glasses of wine over a 12-hour period for humans. <laughs> okay. All right. And they chose this 12-hour time period because that's the activity period for fa- for small mammals to feed on the bird and palm. Okay. Okay. I wondered about that. Yeah. So they created this weird cross-species comparison. 
where they <laughs> measured grams of alcohol per kilogram per kilogram, which translates to about 1.4 grams per kilogram of actual blood alcohol levels are achieved. So that's what they wow. compared our little tree shrew alcoholics to. Okay. And how did they measure this? So they did 12 sessions of field work spanning 38 months. Wow. And they monitored 122 inflorescences. Wow. Okay. Or 122 baseball bats over 3.4 kilometers, which is about two miles. Okay. Yeah. Two miles. Dense. Yeah. And, uh, well, they grow in like dense clusters in these rainforests in West Malaysia. That makes sense because their pollinator has to move pretty small distances. Yeah, and they're small critters. Yeah. So they strapped cute little necklaces or radio collars to these animals to monitor them and keep track of. (laughs) Tiny little shrew radio collars. Yeah. That's great. It's cute. They're really cute. Um, And they, I wrote, they necked 24 individuals. So they put these little radio collars on 44 um, shrews. Shrews. I think it was actually 33 shrews and 11 slow lorises. Oh, okay, okay. Um, and they m- tracked those 44 individuals for between one and nine months. So they kept tabs on these little suckers for a while. Wow. Yeah. So they learned that the pintailed tree shrews have a metabolic mechanisms to eliminate alcohol similar to human beings, making them a good study species for alcoholism in humans. Oh, okay. Um, They used a hair analysis technique to measure alcohol intake other than their crazy batshit formula. You remember that with the 10 million things that they measured? Yeah. (laughs) So to give it like a more concrete thing, they – let me see this. Oh, here's the oxidation part of it. I'm just going to read this out loud. So after some complicated enzyme oxidation of the alcohol molecule, so when you ingest it, your liver liver breaks it down and everything, it turns it into, after like two cycles of breaking it down, it turns it into ETG, which is ethyl uh, glucoronide. Yeah. Which is, just know that it's ETG. Okay. (laughs) Which is synthesizing the liver as part of the process of breaking down alcohol. Now, this ETG stays in your system for a really long time. And it enters, like, your growing hair shaft, so where your hair is growing. And it stays Uh. there for so long, like, it'll be there even after the animal has died. And. Very cool. People use the ETG molecule in humans to see if. For instance, people who are on parole and they can't drink alcohol if they have <gasps> broken the law. Oh, that's pretty cool, actually. Yeah. But, it, like, human hair grows all the time, so that makes sense. But does shrew hair grow all the time? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, and it, like, sh- it just doesn't grow very long. It's not – they're not, like, long-haired thing. It, it falls out. But um, they would take multiple – they would, like, trap live critters at these study sites, pluck out some hairs, and then test them for this molecule and then let the animal go. Yeah. Okay. Um, and they compared these samples to animals kept in the lab that didn't have access to any alcohol. And it was found that, and this should be pretty obvious, that the wild-caught animals have significantly higher concentrations of ETG in their hair shafts than the ones yeah. in the lab did. Cool. So that's just to kind of cover everybody's bases and make sure that these researchers aren't just making shit up. Yeah, and that this molecule is, in fact, coming from alcohol in the shrews and mm-hmm. not being produced in some other part of their body for exactly. some other reason. Yeah. yeah. So to wrap cool. this up... Um, alcohol and other naturally occurring psychoactive substances have a huge potential in mediating plant and animal relationships, obviously, because obviously. the bird and palm and our little tree shrew buddy have been co-evolving together for the last 50 million years. That's so crazy. Right? Yeah. And to conclude this, the tree shrews cope with the high risks of chronic alcohol intake through the increase in effectiveness of processing it in their bodies, similar to that of humans. And it keeps the blood, it like Uh, reduces the concentration of alcohol in their blood and brain to a very low level, meaning that they have a really high tolerance. That's cool. Yeah. So these little guys would definitely drink us under the table. (laughs) Okay. And that's that. I love it. Fascinating. I know. It's crazy, right? So, So basically what you're saying is that the reason why shrews compared to other small animals their size mammals their size Mm -hmm. the reason they're not affected by alcohol is because they can process the alcohol in a similar way to humans yes because remember one of their they're closely related to primates oh yeah so they probably have some of those characteristics that led to this ability in common that might have been 
basil. I know I used that word a lot of okay. wrong contexts last time, but this is the but true this is the way, way yeah, it's used. This is basil. Yeah. <laughs> the basil trait. Mm-hmm. Um, but that they were shared by yeah. their ancestors. So oh! our Pentel true friends share a common ancestor with humans. Oh my God. Wait, are other primates like Oh yeah. Lots of other primates use alcohol. And they can process it and in they similar can process ways. It, yeah. Okay. Now some of them don't process it as metabolically well as our tree shrew friends here which is why they get drunk which is why human beings still get drunk even though we process it the same way it's the fact that they are so like small bodied and yeah. they process it the same way that larger bodied animals do that right. lower the concentrations okay okay crazy <laughs> that's so oh. cool <laughs> i love it uh. so anything else no, but I just love the concept that this little tree shrew's secret to being an alcoholic is that it's related to humans. I know. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's its secret. It's not that it's just some, like, crazy, highly, like, specifically evolved creature, but that it just has the same, like, basic genes to work with that at one point we did. Yes, exactly. <laughs> oh. It just did a way better job of it. Yes. Also, I really want to see if I can buy some bird and palm like beer dude they make all kinds of alcoholic beverages with this stuff that's so cool like i've heard of people making weird beers out of beers out of beard yeast yeah oh yeah yeah. (laughs) stuff like that palm wine is the most common one it averages a 3.8 percent alcohol cute but that's like a smirnoff ice yeah but a little bit more oh i wrote in here somewhere how much it oh wait no that's about elephants that's for a different rabbit hole (laughs) (laughs) never mind okay different rabbit hole I've definitely seen videos of drunk elephants online though well I'm just gonna tell you now that they're probably bullshit (gasps) really oh I'm disappointed different rabbit hole not in the elephants but in the humans who misconstrued information to make it appear that they were drunk and you should be I'm very yeah I'll talk about that on the next one really two alcohols in a row you're gonna go next oh that's right and then, like, my next episode, I'll talk about it. Okay. Okay? Okay. The rest of the Prairie Dog Town. Yes. Or one more neighborhood. Cool. Well, we uh, got to thank our producers, the Great Plains Nature Center, who we work for, uh, because they let us, their employees, talk about drunk shrews <laughs> <laughs> and teabagging pollen on a podcast. Show notes are on naughtynaturepodcast.com. Email us at naughtynature at gpnc.org. Leave us a review if you want. So the next time you are going out to the bar with your friends, just remember there's a tiny tree shrew out there who can out drink you. Because it's your long-lost cousin. Uh, distant, distant, distant cousin. Very distant. <laughs> and remember, nature is not. So. Okay, bye.